The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. Since this afternoon is Ecclesiastes chapter 5, so I invite you to turn there now. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. This worked out in God's providence. I didn't plan it this way, but worked out in God's providence that that was part of our passage this morning. Ecclesiastes 5, verses 1 through 7. Let's now be good hearers. We draw near to God to hear His Word. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw nearer, to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow not pay. Let your mouth, let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice? And destroy the works of your hands. For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one whom you must fear. Amen. This concludes the reading of God's word. May God now be pleased to add his blessing to the preaching of it. Well, if you notice our public schools around town, you notice there's a sign that says drug-free zone. It also has some other signs that I don't want to get into. You can ask me my, uh, you probably already know what my view is, but we'll just focus on the drug-free zone sign. It's not the case that you are allowed to use illegal drugs outside of that zone. It's just, especially in this area, you need to keep your illegal activity out. Well, in a sense, this is what we have going on in our passage today. We have what you would call, what you could call a vanity-free zone. When we come into this world, we come into the realm of vanity. It's all around us. It's as unavoidable as the air we breathe. But when we come into God's house, place of public worship, the gathering of the saints. We do not come into the realm of vanity. The reason why there would be any vanity in God's house is not because we're entering into the realm of vanity, but because of any vanity we bring in. And so what the writer here, what Solomon is calling us to do is to leave our vanity behind. The house of God is different than this vain world. And that's why this passage in Ecclesiastes takes on a different tone than really the rest of the book. Rather than Solomon talking about his observations and concluding all his vanity, here he goes into preacher mode. 
He goes into exhortation mode and exhorts us to not bring vanity into God's house. This section is bracketed off by two commands. Verse 1, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Verse 7, God is the one you must fear. So the context is public worship, is entering into God's house. And in between these two commands that bracket off this passage, Solomon shows us what it looks like to guard our steps and fear God when we worship Him. So two areas to guard when we are in God's house. First, the ears. Second, the mouth. So first, the ears. Verse 1. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near is to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. So we begin with this command to guard our steps when we come to the house of God. And we know what it means to be on our guard. You're walking out to your car late at night and some unknown strange person is nearby. You're on your guard. You're paying close attention. You're carefully watching every step. Or when you're walking on an icy sidewalk, you're walking more carefully than you would regularly. You're paying attention to every step, or at least you should be. And you are watching closely how you walk so as to not fall. This careful, sharp focus, paying extra special attention, is what Solomon has in mind here. And this is what we are to do when we go to the house of God. This is the context, the house of God. Remember, as I've been saying, what the house of God is, is the place of public worship, coming into His presence, gathering together. As this verse says here, it is drawing near to God, His special presence. It is a solemn occasion. And so we must must approach it with all seriousness, sobriety, and reverence. Rather than rushing in late or being preoccupied with many other things, we are to have our hearts ready and prepared to come meet with the living God. And the first thing Solomon mentions is listening. He says to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. So our mindset when coming to worship, when coming to church, should be to come to listen. The ear is the primary instrument of worship. Now, it's not to say that it's the only instrument we're going to see here. We use our mouth, too. But the ear is the primary because whose speaking is more important? God's or ours? It's God speaking to us, and so we must utilize our ears. That's the first thing mentioned in this passage. Now, this is not natural to us. We have to die to ourselves to do this. Just think about even our normal conversation. Just consider how you interact with others. We prefer to speak. We prefer, if we're going to use energy, it's going to be our mouth. To express ourselves, to talk about what we want to talk about, because we naturally consider our own interests as more important than others. And when we're talking about our interests, we're using our mouth. When we need to consider the interests of others, we need to use our ears. And that's not something that we want to do. 
it's even hard for us to ask, hey, how are you doing, and show interest in that. Well, I don't really want to have to hear things that are not interesting to me, the interests of others. So I prefer to speak rather than listen because then I get to control the subject matter more than ones that interest me. And this is also a great indicator of pride, as Proverbs repeatedly says. A fool takes no interest in hearing, but only in expressing his own view, his own opinion. But we must come to worship with the mindset that we need to be good hearers. And not just that we hear, but how we hear. Come to carefully hear God's Word with the determination to obey it in the power and grace of the Spirit. And this is in contrast to offering the sacrifice of fools. Sacrifice refers to worship in general, what is offered up to God. And sacrifice of fools refers to offering up to God worship that is based on one's own authority rather than God's will. And this is because it's in contrast to listening here. Rather than listening carefully to God's word, this person really doesn't hear or doesn't even care to hear to understand. Just assumes that whatever he wants to do must be right. Any worship offered to God, as long as it's sincerely of his will, must be right. Jesus says in the Gospels to the Pharisees that they worship God in vain. So there's your vanity right there. Why? Because they teach as doctrine the doctrines and commandments of men. It stems from man. Man's will, it's vain. And it's vain worship if it's not based on God's will. So this is a sacrifice of fools. I think one of the best examples of this comes from Saul in 1 Samuel 15. You may remember that. that. King Saul had specific instructions from God to go out and kill the Amalekites. To not spare any of them. Man, woman, child, beast. Do away with them all. Don't spare. And what did King Saul do? Well, he didn't say, no, I'm not going to obey you, God. I'm just going to sit here at home. He went out and did his assignment, right? He went out and uh, went out and his, his assignment. And he killed the Amalekites. He spared King Agag, but you know, 99% ain't bad, right? And then he killed most of the livestock. Except he reserved some for sacrifice. And what was God's response to this? Well, God's response right away was, I regret making Saul king. It wasn't, hey, he did mostly well. There's a few things he could have done better, but, you know, it's pretty good. Oh, God right away rejected it all. But I want you to think for a moment about Saul's reasoning. The sacrifices are going to be killed either way, right? The, the livestock is going to be killed either way. They're going to be killed for the Lord's purposes. But there's some really nice sacrifices here. I mean, they're, they're perfect sacrifices without blemish. Those are hard to find. The sacrifices God requires without blemish. And here they are. Sacrifices without blemish. 
They're going to be killed anyway. I'd hate to just see them go to waste. So might as well kill them in order to sacrifice to the Lord. I have a better plan, Saul says, right? You can, you can see the reasoning here better than some of our own justifications for our own sin. Yet, God flat out rejected this. And when Samuel confronted Saul, of course, Saul justified it and said that he is using these sacrifices for the Lord. How can you fault me for that? I'm going to sacrifice them to the Lord. They're going to be killed anyway. But God's response through the prophet Samuel was, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen then the fat of rams. And this is what Solomon is saying here in Ecclesiastes. It is better to listen and obey than to offer up whatever sacrifice you want. Even though it is directed towards the Lord and it might come with great sincerity. I'm directing this to the Lord and I'm sincere. And it sounds like a good idea. If it is not in accordance with God's Word, then it is sin. We may think, well, this is such a great idea, and it's for the Lord. Certainly the Lord would never reject it. Just read 1 Samuel 15. Read God's Word and you will see that it must be according to God's will. God knows what He's doing, and no man should think He's wiser than God. We cannot improve upon God's wise will. This is the sacrifice of fools, even though they think that they're doing right and not realizing that they're doing evil. And really, this is, I think, one of the big failures of, of churches today in America. It's really baffling to look at what's going on today and then read history. I don't think most of the church would recognize what's going on today. A Father's Day, having a drawing in the middle of the service, give away some tools or, or a truck. Do that on Monday. I'll be there. People dressing up in costumes and, and doing performances, smoke machines, laser lights, disco ball. These things are similar to and perhaps even worse than the money changers turning God's house away from a house of prayer. God's house. And while fools think they are doing well, we saw Jesus' response to overturning tables. Do you realize that the time we see Jesus get most angry is when it came to God's house? When it came to His worship? And as those who have the Spirit of Christ in us, we too should have the same zeal. And not that we go around to other churches and overturn tables and stir up problems, but that we place the same importance on worship in God's house that Jesus did. If we have the Spirit of Christ, that is the way it should be. That the importance is not on doing my will or being afraid of being legalistic, which can just really be a way of saying, I don't want my will restricted. Or doing something that I'm not used to or having people like me in my demographic or age group. The importance needs to be on worshiping God acceptably with reverence and awe because that is what God's Word says. 
But it starts by coming to listen and endeavoring to obey His will. That is what is pleasing to Him. Now the second area to guard when we come to God's house. So first we saw the errors. Second, the mouth. While we are to draw near primarily to listen, to hear God speak, we are not forbidden from speaking. We are called to speak to God. And here we see that dialogical principle even here in Ecclesiastes, where, yes, we do hear, but we also speak. We're having a dialogue with God. We address Him. He addresses us. But that speech needs to be carefully guarded. Look at verse 2. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. So being rash with your mouth and and hasty with your heart is really to speak without thinking. Just saying the first thing that comes to mind without giving much thought to it. It's just treating worship flippantly and not having your mind engaged in what you say. It's forgetting to whom we are speaking. The God of the universe. He is in heaven. You are on earth. Which is to say, He is far greater than us. And to be treated as holy. And so the fewer words, the better. Verse 3 says, For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. The dream here is a metonym for sleep. It's a fill-in word for deep sleep. Just as with much business or busyness, much hard labor leads to deep sleep, hence dreams, the sleep of the laborer are sweet. So a fool's voice inevitably leads to many words. And so we need to let our words be few and meaningful in worship. And this is why when we begin worship, we don't start off with a bunch of announcements a bunch of jokes going on and on about trite things. The words of our prayer and songs in public worship, this drawing near to God, need to be carefully considered. Now, we don't want to be paralyzed in prayer and song. We know that the Spirit intercedes for us in prayer. But we want to avoid vain repetition in prayer, thinking that our prayers are more effective to God. I recently went out to lunch with uh, some Roman Catholic friends of mine. And usually when we go out to lunch, they, they have me pray. But this time they didn't. They probably got tired of, of hearing me. And I, had, I, used, I grew up Roman Catholic. I, I wasn't a practicing Roman Catholic. I was a CEO, Christmas and Easter only. And so they're more devout. Roman Catholics, and they started by crossing themselves and saying in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, followed by a quick prayer that they say every time before they eat. It was just very rotor routine. It sounded like they were chanting. And then ended by crossing themselves. And there was no meaning in it. There was no heart engagement. And while the words were few, it was pagan. We need to avoid things like this. And same in our singing. We are to avoid vain repetition. We are to sing the words of Scripture to God and avoid shallow repetition and mindless emotionalism. We need to remember we are worshiping the God of heaven. It's not about us, our desires. It is about God, who He is, and giving to Him what is due. 
Another part of worship that was common in the Old Covenant where your mouth could get you in trouble is vows. And we see that in verses 4 through 6. A vow is making a commitment to God that brings about consequences for not keeping it. An example is found in 1 Samuel where Hannah vowed to the Lord that if he gave her a child, she would dedicate him to the Lord. Some of our vows we take today are marriage vows. Also, membership vows because membership is a covenant relationship to one another. But God says here not to do it rashly. Rash vows are things like, God, if you give me this job, I will devote 50% of my income to the church and charity. Or, if you give me a family, I will do family devotions every night. I swear to you, God. And sometimes this is done out of desperation when we really want something. And we think that if we make these grandiose promises to God, then then I will really twist his arm back. Look at him and say, okay, uncle, I'll give it to you. If we say, I just, Lord, look at my righteousness because of my righteousness and what the vows I'm making, certainly you should give it to me. But those are rash vows. And this is why we are not to be rash in making a vow. When in doubt, don't make it. We don't need a vow to do everything we ought to do. We don't need a vow with it. We can just let our yes be yes and no be no. We don't want to say it was a mistake. I should not have done it. Uh, back then they had a messenger, a temple official, who would witness your vows and would follow up with you. And you don't want to say, or they didn't want to say, when that messenger came, it was a mistake, I shouldn't have done it. God expects you to pay it. If not, it brings about the discipline of the Lord. As verse 6 says, it angers God and He will destroy the works of your hand. This refers to the consequences for not fulfilling your vow. There will be discipline, especially when it comes in the context of worship. You may remember 1 Corinthians 11. The way they were treating the Lord's Supper led some of them to be sick and even die. That's new covenant. They're still disciplined. Instead, we are to simply fear God, to stand in awe of Him, to treat Him the way He should be treated as God, drawing near to listen, being careful to do His will, letting our words be, be few. As verse 7 says, For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one whom you must fear. So here, dreams refer to that which is not real. They may increase greatly, they don't change reality. You may have this, this many dreams in the night. You wake up, your reality has not changed. Likewise, so do an increase of words. You may have many words, many vows, but that doesn't change reality. Instead, we simply fear God and stand in awe of Him, letting our words be few and giving Him the worship that is due His name. Now, as we consider all of these things, I think we are struck by how poor worshipers we truly are. There are many times we don't want to be here, despite it being a meeting with the living God. Because it does not excite our flesh or entertain us like the things of the world do. Uh, many times 
we don't come to a place because God is there, but because people like us are there. We come for the people and not for the God of the universe who saved us and redeemed us. We don't want to die to ourselves to come hear from the living God, but often space off, or worse, fall asleep on God Himself speaking to us. Our hearts are often not engaged with joy as we sing. And our minds and hearts are often not engaged in cognitive dependence upon Him as we pray. It really can't just be going through the motions mindlessly. On top of that, we do not give Him near the reverence and awe and worship that He deserves. We can scurry in late, preoccupied and busy with many other things and not come having our hearts prepared to meet with the living God. And if the Lord would count this against us, we would not be able to stand. We would not stand His judgment. But thankfully, this great God who deserves perfect worship has provided a perfect worshiper in our stead. Jesus says in Psalm 40, which is quoted in Hebrews 10, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. He delights to do God's will. You see, our worship, our sacrifices and offerings do not cut it for God. Taking no pleasure in them ultimately. Well, if He's not taking pleasure in our worship, then what's the answer? Behold, I have come to do Your will, O God. It's someone standing in our place to do God's will on our behalf. And that doing of God's will with perfect delight, we get credit for by faith. His righteousness is counted as our own by simply trusting in Him. We do not trust in our worship. We do not trust in our ability to offer up better worship to God. Rather, we trust in the One who perfectly did God's will on our behalf. And then He's the one who is the sacrifice that stood in our place for all the false and evil and bad worship that we offer up to God. So that has been forever covered and atoned for and paid for in full. And does that not make you want to worship this God? Does that not make you want to live for Him to enter His gates with praise and singing, to draw near to hear what your heavenly Father has to say to you. Does this not make you want to offer up your life as a living sacrifice to God, well-pleasing to Him as your reasonable worship? May our Lord's Gospel love motivate us to guard our steps as we come into His house, to hear Him and to fear Him, and setting aside all vain and false worship by His grace. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, 
we do want to worship you in spirit and truth, but we know that we do not do it near as well as we should. But we are so grateful for the perfect worshiper, our Lord Jesus Christ, who stood in our place doing your will that we get credit for. And then he got credit for all the violations of your will that we have committed. May this drive us to want to worship you, to to, to be as zealous for your house and worship as our Lord Jesus Christ was. May his spirit drive us toward that. Help us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.